Hebrews chapter 3. We're going to dive in. Let me just pray before we dive in, if we can do that. God, uh, we thank you for this time to come together and, and focus our attention on you. And I do ask that you just continue to remove us from distractions, from uh, those thoughts and those uh, places our, our hearts and our minds go that pull us away from you. Help us to focus on you this morning. Convict us. And I pray that Hebrews will, will speak to us this morning as well. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, we're just going to dive right in. In Hebrews chapter 3 right here in verse 7, you guys see that right there? There's a quote. You guys see where the quote is? He quotes something. He's quoting Psalm 95 right there. And he does it for the next two chapters, basically. And so what I want to do, is I want to have somebody else read that quote, just so it feels like um, something different. You know, he's, he's interjecting this into, the psalm, into the, his letter here. So who's willing to read Psalm 95 right here out of Hebrews for me? Anyone? Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time in the desert, during the time of testing the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me, and for 40 years saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation, and I said, their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared one oath in my anger, that they, sh- they shall never enter my rest. That they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers, verse 12 says, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. He's writing to Jewish people. He's quoting a, one of their psalms that they would have used in their worship gatherings. One of, he's quoting one of their psalms. He's bringing to mind this, this uh, wilderness wandering, these doubts that their ancestors had in the wilderness And he's reminding them that these people did not enter the promised land because of of their their actions, their disobedience, and their their unbelief. See to it, as he turns to them, that none of you has a sinful and unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Why? Why did they not enter into the rest? Into God's rest. Look at verse 19. So we see, it says, that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. They were not able to enter the promised land. Here's Moses leading them. They're rejecting Moses through word and through deed. Their actions are disobedient. And they can't enter the promised land because of their unbelief. They never enter God's rest because of of that. Now, we live in a uh, culture of relativism, where it's, it's really hard for us to talk about belief, what's right, what's wrong, um, because we want everybody to, to be, you know, we don't want to come across as that arrogant sort of person that's like, I'm right and you're wrong. And so we, have, we just have a hard time with this. And you might say that we have a division sometimes today between... Um, orthopraxy and orthodoxy. Orthopraxy and orthodoxy. Uh, let's define these, just in case you're like, what? <laughs> okay, yeah, right, we're living in that division. Um, 
Orthopraxy. What's orthopraxy mean? Does that mean like following traditional rules? It, it may. It may. Um, right. What? Practice. Pra, pra, practice. Right. Practice. Doing the right things. Right actions. You might say feeding the poor or or not looking at a woman with lust or whatever that those right actions might be. Orthopraxy is right actions, and orthodoxy would be what? Anybody know what dox stands for? Doxology. Right beliefs, right doctrine, right beliefs. And we do sometimes, I think, maybe, that, would, it, would it help if I put actions and belief? Would that help you? Just so we don't get confused here with these four concepts. Um, like, some people sway towards the orthodoxy sphere, where they focus... Uh, so much on facts and getting the right facts and the right truth. And the funny thing is, is that they don't live any of it out. You know, they don't love anybody, but they understand love intellectually, right? And then on the flip side, there's those who, who lean towards orthopraxy. They lean towards doing the right actions, doing everything right, you know, feeding the poor, works of justice, morality, whatever that might be. Um, but they kind of look down on, on right belief, and like, for instance, I have a, I have a Christian friend who is uh, against orthodoxy. He's all for orthopraxy. He's all for, like, doing the right things, but he's completely against orthodoxy. And uh, we're talking this morning in Hebrew. Hebrews here is talking about, it's, it's a warning against unbelief. So we're talking this morning a little bit about belief. And I just want to kind of lay this down at the very beginning, just kind of as we dive into it, the importance of belief. Um, two, two reasons, just right off the top here, that I would say belief is important. Because, do you guys know what I'm saying? Like, like it's so easy to say, hey, they don't believe this or that, this or this, but they're, they're doing it right. And so... Belief isn't all that important. You know what I'm saying? Like, so what is the importance of belief? Like, how does belief save us? I mean, does belief? What is the deal with it? Two reasons why belief is important. All right. Number one, Jesus walked away from unbelievers. And number two, belief leads to faith, which leads to your salvation. So number one, Jesus walks away. I think of John 10. Do you remember this moment where Jesus is? He's walking and, and he's talking with Jewish people and they don't believe. They're people of unbelief. And they've seen his miracles. They've seen his power. And so they don't have a problem with that. They don't have a problem with the miracles. They have a problem with the claim that he's the Messiah. They have the problem with the claim that he's the Son of God, that he is God, that he's incarnate, that he's divine. They've got a problem with that. And they don't believe to the point where Jesus says to them, he says, you do not believe because you are not my sheep. The reason you don't believe is because you're not my sheep. And at this, they pick up rocks, right? And they're going to stone them. Because belief or unbelief, no matter what our actions are like, unbelief drives us, drives us to this place where we want to crucify Christ as we reject him. So they pick up stones to stone him. And Jesus walks away. 
Jesus walks away. And as John 10 goes on, he actually ends up staying with those who believe. So one, Jesus left the unbelievers, but two, belief leads to faith. So facts, when we think about facts, facts of truth, facts, belief leads to faith, which leads to salvation. So let's think for a moment about our mind. Can we do this? Just think about your mind. Think about the thinking process that we have. Think about words. Like we can actually, we take these these letters and we put them together and they communicate ideas. And so I can write something down on a piece of paper and I'm communicating an idea from my mind through the words as you think about it, as you think about the words, as you process them, it goes into your mind. We're communicating ideas. Just think about that. I mean, isn't thinking amazing? It really is. The mind is an amazing thing. And this is what I ask. Is, is our mind, is our thinking, just this arbitrary sort of development of evolution that we just simply have as human beings, which has pushed us forward, and then we just so happen to think about God? Or is it within that creative process, God has given us a mind. God has given us the ability to think so we can know him. The very reason, what's, what sets us apart? What is the image of God in us? What sets us, sets us apart from animals? We've been given the ability to think. We've been given the ability to reason, you may say. To look at facts. And is it not that God has, has given us that as a gift so we can know him? What is salvation? It's knowing God. You know, it's, it's complete vulnerability where we come together and we completely know God and he completely knows us. Now, um, keeping this in mind, all right, so there's just kind of like a little overview of an importance of belief, which is, you know, we can get into that deeper another time. We'll get into it a little bit deeper right now, actually. But keeping that in mind, (laughs) what Hebrews is bringing to mind is this. There is a new people of God. As, he, as Hebrews is quoting, the, the author is quoting Psalm 95 here, he, he continues to reference back to, this, to the Israelites, the former people of God, you may say. And he's saying there's a new people of God at hand now. See, there was, there's a new slavery. The Israelites, God's people, were enslaved in Egypt. They were in bondage in Egypt, right? In a physical empire. And Hebrews has told us that there is a new slavery, and the slavery is not... Not as one that we saw in Egypt, but it, it's different. It's actually a, a deeper slavery. It's a slavery of sin, and it's a slavery to death, and it's even a slavery to the fear of death. And there's been this liberation, a new exodus, where the, the old people of God, the Israelites, were led out of Egypt to the exodus, this great liberation. There's a new exodus in which the new people of God have been liberated from what? We talked about it last week. The fear of death, right? So there's been a new kind of exodus. And now what he's saying here, as, as, so now that we, we were enslaved, the new people of God have, have now been liberated, and we're going to be seeing this process through all of his, uh, Hebrews, this new people of God. As we've been now liberated, what he's saying here is now there's a new kind of wandering. There's a new wilderness wandering that's currently happening. 
Whereas the old people of God, the, Israel, the Israelites, as they wandered through the desert, they began to doubt. And they began to doubt the kind of doubts. See, doubting in and of itself isn't, isn't bad. You, do you remember when Thomas was doubting one of Jesus' disciples? He didn't walk away from Thomas like he walked away from the unbelievers. Because doubting for Thomas... It was, I guess you could say it was true skepticism. Like he really was searching it out. He really wanted to know. And it led him to, to, to touch Jesus. You know, put your hands, take your hands, feel the holes, feel the nail holes. Put your hand in my side. You know, that was his response to the doubting of Thomas. And he welcomes that. He wants you to question. But for the Israelites, as they're wandering they're, they begin to doubt as well. But it's not the kind of doubting that Thomas had. It's not the kind of doubting that leads us to reach out and touch Jesus. But it was actually the kind of doubting which led to unbelief. And so they're, as they're wandering, they, they fall, they, they reject Moses, their leader, and they fall into patterns of unbelief. And what he's saying here is, is that we now, it's not the same wilderness wandering, but we're in that same kind of journey. We're in that same place now. Now that we've been liberated, we were enslaved to sin, we've been liberated, but now we're in this place of wandering. And what he's saying is, don't fall into unbelief. Don't recognize. Um, Jess and I were going to visit my parents in Ohio uh, one time, and we decided, we had this brilliant idea. Don't you love brilliant ideas? And uh, we, so our brilliant idea was instead of waiting until the morning to drive to Ohio, let's just leave at 9 or 10 tonight. It's only six hours, so we'll get there by 3 or 4 in the morning, go to bed, sleep in, and then we'll have the entire next day, you know, to spend with my parents. Like, it was a brilliant idea, right? Instead of having to drive the whole next day. So 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, whenever, we, we poured some hot coffee and grabbed a bag of chips and put the girls in the back seat, and we're like... You know, kicking down the road, we're like, man, this is, you know, it's enjoyable, it's exciting, we're on, we're on the road, we're traveling, we're talking we're, about what we're going to do, whatever. And then about an hour goes by, and the girls have fallen asleep in the back, I'm driving, and Jess is trying to fall asleep, you know, she's not comfortable, she's doing like one of these things, like trying to get comfortable and complaining. <laughs> Another hour goes by, and uh, Jess is still trying to fall asleep. And uh, complaining about the car being too hot or the radio is too loud. And I'm complaining about the fact that she not, she's not driving, right? Why can't I sit in the passenger seat? And the girls are snoozing in the back. And it's not comfortable anymore. My, my coffee is getting cold. The chips just taste disgusting now. And we still have five hours of driving left. And I'm, and I'm listening to NPR. And NPR puts you to sleep, right? <laughs> just like, you're listening to the soothing voices. <laughs> and... Um, And then one o'clock hits, and it's just all-out war. You know, like, we're, we're, we're grumbling. I, I'm, I'm just, like, upset because I'm still driving. And Jess is upset because I'm still not allowing her to get a, you know, five. If I could sleep for five minutes, I could drive for a little bit, you know. Is that kind of, and the girls are still sleeping, of course. Um, and we're both questioning, like, why did we even do this in the first... Why are we even going to Ohio? I don't even like my parents. 
Just kidding. <laughs> but what, you know, we're questioning the entire thing, right? And so then we finally do pull over and we get something to eat and we switch drivers for a little while at least and, and we're good to go. But, but there's this place in that journey and this is really what Hebrews is talking about is, is in this journey that we're on, it, there's this place where as the road gets more difficult, it gets more, less and less comfortable. There's this place where we start to grumble, we start to complain, and we start to question why we're even on the journey in the first place. Uh, look, at verse, look at verse 13. He says this, but, this is, this is what we need to do, all right? Listen, this is an important verse. But, encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today. I love that. Like, if you wake up in the morning and you ask people, like, what they're calling this day, and they say today, then he's saying, go ahead and encourage people, like, all the time. As long as it's called today, as long as people are still calling this today, encourage one another. You know, we cannot do this in isolation. Isolation will allow us to listen to false ideas and deceit, and it will drag us down. So we need to encourage each other in every way we can think of. So that, he says, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Sin, listen to this, is deceitful. It's deceit. It leads to deceitfulness. It, sin leads to, to lies in your head. And you've probably experienced the deceitfulness of sin. If anyone has ever been filled with rage, you know how sin is deceitful. You start thinking thoughts and maybe even doing actions that you never thought you would do before. But you're so angry, you're so filled with rage and hatred and unforgiveness. And you know how sin is deceitful. If anyone has ever, ever been filled with lust, you know the deceitfulness of sin. How it begins to lie to you and you start thinking things. And, and you know, it's okay to think because I'm not going to, to act. And it's, well, it's okay to look because I'm not going to touch. It's okay to touch because we're being careful, right? And we, we go down this path of deceit. We start doing it. it changes our, sin changes our belief system. If you've ever been filled with pride, you know how sin leads to deceitfulness. You, you're like, uh, I don't struggle with pride. I just truly am superior to everyone else. I mean, if I wasn't superior, then it would be pride. But what, I mean, I am superior, so what do I do about that, right? Sin leads to deceitfulness. Um, look at verse 14. He, gives, he then gives us this admonition. We have come to share in Christ, he says, if we hold firmly till the end, the confidence we had at first. Remember that place in the journey when you were excited, when you first started out on that road? You first got in the car, you had your bag of potato chips, you got your hot coffee. It's a, it's a new car, new road, new people that are around you. Remember how exciting that was to be on that journey? For those of you who are new to the, to the, to the spiritual journey, to the Christian journey, and things are exciting and you're confident in it, you've got to know 
that, that time is going to come when your traveling companions are going to annoy you. You're going to start looking at them and be like, why am I traveling this road with these weirdos? <laughs> like, what is up with this? They annoy me. You know what? There's going to come a time where it's not comfortable. The car, things are getting cramped and the coffee doesn't taste as good and the chips just are disgusting. And what he, He's talking to those of us who have been on the road for some time now. And we're in this place of wandering. Our, our hearts are starting to wander. Our minds are starting to wander. We're getting frustrated. We're getting discouraged by the long road. And he's saying, remember, you've got to remember this place of beauty, this place where you were so excited about what's happening. You know what Jess and I do? This actually just popped in my head. Whenever we have had some, like, knockdown arguments between the two of us, like, we always pull out our honeymoon video and pop it in. And we're like, we got to remember why we're together, you know? And it, it always does that. It's like, because sometimes you forget. You know, for those of you who are married, you forget why you love this person. Or those of you who have friends, you forget why you even have this person as your friend. So you have to step back sometimes, especially with the spiritual journey, to step back and remember why you're even on this journey. Remember the confidence that you once had when you got into that car and you started heading towards Ohio at 9 p.m. Remember that confidence and hold firmly to it. Now, with all of that said, let me ask you this question. Does the author, as, as he's presenting this to us, does the author of Hebrews, does he see a divide between orthopraxy and orthodoxy? Between right actions and right beliefs? Does the author see a divide between those two? Look at verse 12. He says, See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful and unbelieving heart. A sinful, wrong actions, and an unbelieving heart, wrong belief. See, the author of Hebrews is pulling these together, and as he's warning us against falling into unbelief, what, what he's pointing out, I believe, is that these two... Right actions and right beliefs go together in more ways than we uh, than we believe. I have a friend, or I had a friend, for instance, who was struggling with belief, and he was fall he was falling into just complete unbelief to where he uh, he, he didn't he was questioning all of the core doctrines of our faith and just disregarding them and like I just don't I, I just don't believe you know I would like to believe. But I just don't believe anymore. And I don't know what to do with that. Now, let me ask you this. Do you think it was possible that my friend was also living in, in willful disobedience in some areas of his life? Yes. He had, there was darkness in his heart. He was dealing with, with pride. He had a sex problem. There were things that were going on in his life that he was not willing to repent of. And as time went on, it turned, his, his sin turned into deceitfulness. And he began to question all of his, his core beliefs. See, we typically think of it this way. We, we, we often see it as belief leads to um, obedience, right action. So if we believe, then we will act right. And so my problem is belief. 
right? That's, that's the typical way we think of it. Bonhoeffer talks about this. The, the, the reverse of that is also true, though. So if belief leads to obedience, what's also true is this. Obedience leads to belief. Or we could say disobedience leads to unbelief. So if someone comes up to you and they're like, yeah, I'm just having struggle, uh, uh, trouble believing. No, I would like to believe in Christianity. I'm, I'm just having trouble with it. The most appropriate response is, what are you struggling with in your life? What kind of sin is in your life? There's, there's some unrepentant sin in your life. I think of my own life. The times where I have been living in ongoing, unrepentant sin have been the most difficult times to believe the, believe the core truths of Christianity. Think about your own life. Think about those, those phases, or maybe you're currently in a phase right now where you just don't want to stop sinning in some area. And you're, during those moments, you're also having trouble with believing. You're having, maybe it's not true. How do I even believe the Bible? How do I, how do I believe in Christ? You know, all, all of these sort of things. Some of you may be just completely right now dealing with unbelief. You're like, I, you know, I'm, I'm coming on Sundays. Whoa, we just lost a head over here. <laughs> I'm coming on Sundays. Um, I'm hearing things, but I'm just not believing it. There probably is a dark place in your heart that you don't want to walk away from. There's probably some kind of willful, ongoing unrepentant sin that's deep in your heart. And so you drink too much to cover it up or you always have to have people around you or you always have to have noise or you do you do you just surround yourself with social times or whatever it might be just to, just to take your mind off of it. You may have rage, um, hatred, unforgiveness in your heart. And you think that God's going to forgive you. You constantly struggle with worry and fear. And you give that to God. You're like, okay, I'm not going to struggle, struggle with worry anymore. And so here, take it from me. And then you're like, nah, I think I'll take that right back. And then you slap him across the face, right? You, uh, you want to believe. Um, you really do. You want, to, you want to believe in the core truths of Christianity. But you're coming to gather on Sunday after you just looked at pornography on Saturday night and you're wondering why it is that you're struggling with belief. Why it is you have so much unbelief. Here's one way to determine whether or not you have ongoing sin. All right, just one way. Think about this with me for a minute. If there is ongoing unrepented sin in your life, which very well can lead to deceit, which can lead to unbelief, which can destroy you. Here's one way to know. If, if every time you hear someone talk about sin, they, myself or someone else says, you know, you need to repent of the sin in your life. If you always go, when you hear that word sin, your mind always goes to this one sin that you're struggling with. Then it's very possible that you have unrepentant, ongoing sin in your life. If, think about the last year or two, as you've sat around in, in accountability groups or with friends or Bible studies, and, and uh, people say, what, you know, what are you struggling with? And you, you keep saying the same 
sin over and over and over, I keep saying, like, this is, you know, let's say it's anger. I'm struggling with anger. I'm struggling with anger. I'm struggling with we said over and over. And then we hear a pastor say, you need to repent of your sin, and all of a sudden you, you start thinking of anger. I've got to repent of anger. You have an ongoing, unrepented sin in your life, and it's stifling your spiritual growth. Therefore, we must encourage one another. As long as it's called today, we must encourage one another. And I want to say through two ways, all right? One, we need to encourage each other through right teaching, and two, we need to encourage each other through right living. Now, with, with the right teaching piece, this, I guess you could say this would be the orthodoxy piece. With the right teaching piece, we need to encourage one we another. We can't be afraid of, of right teaching. We can't be afraid of right belief. Um, we need to be able to find a way to lovingly and humbly disagree with each other. You know, like, not everybody's opinion is valid. Not everybody's right. Like, I've sat around in small groups before. Not in the garden, of course. But in other kinds of small groups. And, like, you go around a circle and everybody kind of says, this is what the scripture means to me. And it's, like, five different, completely different, uh, you know, examples. And four of them are complete heresy. And everybody's just like, yeah, that's a good idea. I can see that. Okay. What's, who else? You know what I mean? It's just like, can we ever disagree with each other in a loving way that doesn't cause, like, you know, like you disagree, like, Joel, I don't think that's right. And I'm like, oh, you know, I'm leaving because you don't like me. What? No, I'm just like, I love you, so I'm correcting your bad theology because I love you. Like, we've got to find a way to be able to do that. I don't think, I don't think the Christian world has found that yet, really. But maybe the garden can find it, you know, where we can lovingly keep each other accountable for right belief, for right teaching, good theology. And then also, secondly, we've got to keep each other accountable. We've got to uh, encourage one another in right living. Like when we actually see somebody living wrongly, to say, you're living wrongly, you know, you're sinning. You've got to stop that. You know, and I do, I do know that this has happened in the garden because I've seen you guys do it. You're around folks who are just like literally screwing up and you don't say anything to them. Like, we've got to be able to sit down and lovingly look at somebody and say, I don't think your actions are right. And, I, and I'm saying this because I'm afraid that your actions are going to lead you to unbelief. They might destroy you. And you might be sitting here and thinking like, yeah, I like that, but the problem is, is I've seen that before. Like, I've seen, I've, se- I've been in small groups where where they, they hold each other accountable for right beliefs and right, right actions. But it hasn't been about Jesus, you know? Like, that's why I left the church in the first place, was because all they were doing was looking down on each other because they weren't acting right, or looking down on each other because they weren't believing right. And you're like, this is the problem. This is the problem with the church, is that we always just focus on, like, nailing each other, you know? And so you've got this guy leading a Bible study, and he's always, like, pointing out, you know... You say something, and he's like, well, wait a second. Have you ever looked at 1 Corinthians 15.9? Read that and tell me what you think now. You know what I mean? Like, arrogant. Like, are you serious? That's Jesus? Love, you know? Where does love fall into this? And, and you're like, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be orthodox. I don't want to have all those right beliefs to look, so I can look down on everyone else, you know? Or, or with, with the right living, like, you've got it all figured out, and so you're you're... 
you know, in this small group setting again, maybe this, this same person is like constantly talking about every little thing that you do wrong in your life. And how can you call yourself a Christian, you know, because you did this or because you did this or whatever that might be, you know? You're like, yeah, I've seen it. I've been there. And that's really not where I want to go. Even though I kind of, I'm tracking with you. But here's the thing. For somebody who, who is caught up in this, and, and it's like, okay, so they've got right belief. They've got all the facts lined up, you know, and, and they, they've studied the Bible and they've charted it all out. Have you ever seen the charts? There's like tons of charts for the Bible. They've, they've actually charted out all of Revelation, say, you know, and, and they've got all of the right beliefs. And, uh, and now they're looking down their noses at anyone with doubts, at anyone who questions their beliefs. Or you have right actions, and you're looking down your nose at everyone who doesn't. It's not long before you begin to realize that the sin that you always have struggled with wasn't, I mean, the actions were sin, but that wasn't the root of the sin. The sin that you've always struggled with is pride. And so while you think you have right belief, quote unquote, and you think you have right actions, the reality is you don't. You don't really believe that you are a broken, miserable, worthless human being saved by the grace of God. You don't really believe that. You actually believe you're pretty good. You don't really believe that, that there are um, sins which lie underneath sins, like pride. And so even though you're doing, quote-unquote, all the right actions and you're not sinning, you're very looking down on the other person and saying, God, thank you for not making me like that person. You're, you're, you're worse a sinner as he is or, or maybe worse. Right, right belief and right obedience in and of themselves do not save you. The, the ancient Israelites, as they're wandering in the deserts, the desert, as they're having this sort of, these, these times of unbelief, they're rejecting Moses. And so because of that, they did not enter the promised land. But for us, the new people of God, our leader is not Moses, our leader is Jesus. And we're rejecting Jesus as we live in this ongoing disobedience which leads to unbelief. Belief which leads to saving faith is more than simply believing correct facts. It's more than just intellectually assenting to these facts. Belief which leads to saving faith is receiving Jesus. At its core, it's receiving Jesus. It's knowing that in and of myself, I can't believe my way into his grace. I can't act my way into his grace. And so I receive Jesus. It's pulling the car over and getting out and walking around, going on a spiritual retreat if you have to. When... When Jess and I were on this, this trip, you know, it, it, three o'clock hit. 
and we're still 45 minutes out from from Ohio. And um, everybody's sleeping. The girls are have been sleeping the entire time. Jess finally fell asleep. All I hear is just their 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 breathing and the the hum of the road, right? And then NPR. Like the NPR voice. That was that was the VIA chamber orchestra. <laughs> this is National Public Radio. Songs for the Songs that make you go to sleep behind the wheel. So like with one eye. You know, I'm, I got one hand on my left eye trying to hold it open. The other, I'm driving with my knee, and my uh, my other hand is trying to change the station <laughs> to try to find like some Led Zeppelin or something <laughs> to wake me up. You know, and nothing works. The windows are down. Think about this: I'm driving 65 to 70 miles an hour down the highway. I've got my girls in the back seat, and my wife in the passenger seat, and all three of them have completely put their trust in me. 65 to 70 miles down the highway, and I'm about, I'm about to fall asleep. I'm thinking like, and I'm just like, you know, you know how it starts right here, and it starts to come up. <laughs> like 40, I have 45 minutes to go. Oh, I can't, I can't go 45 more seconds. And then we start to believe this lie that we can close our eyes for just maybe one or two seconds. <laughs> we'll be all right. And if you believe that lie. You close your eyes for one or two seconds, you very well could be destroying the lives of those who have put their trust in you and those traveling around you. Look at verses 15 on through 19. As, as has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who, uh, who, who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all, Moses, uh, all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. See, some of you are driving down the road and you're tired. You're struggling. It's, it's been long. It's hard. And you've got to recognize that there are people in your care who have put their trust in you. And if you fall, if you, if you close your eyes, if you believe that lie for a minute, and you close your eyes for a second, you could very well be destroying their lives, hurting those who look up to you. And so we've got to pull over. We've got to get out of the car and figure out what it's going to take for us to focus our minds back on Christ. That might mean getting away for a, for a couple days. That might mean waking up earlier and spending just loads of time reading the scriptures. But we've got to focus on Christ. We've got to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Because we're about to lose it. Is there someone here who has been living in disobedience? You're, you, you've been waiting for that moment 
when God will somehow magically open your eyes and make you believe, and so then you don't have the desire to, to sin anymore. However, the reality is, is that your that very sin has deceived you, and you must recognize that your disobedience is keeping you from belief, and it may very well destroy you and hurt those around you. Um, is there someone here who has fallen asleep at the wheel, or you're falling asleep at the wheel? There are people in your care looking up to you. You may be a spiritual leader, a parent, you may be a friend. And you're cruising and you know that you need to pull over. Now, just three quick thoughts, ways to, to pull over, to be rejuvenated. Number one, search your heart. Look beyond that action, whatever that sin is that, that you keep, continue to go back to. What is the sin underneath that sin? Is it pride? Is it, is it envy? What is it? Is it anger? Search your heart deeply. Two, uh, read large portions of Scripture. Like, consume this stuff. I mean, this is the Word of God. This is truth. And so we need to be consuming it and reading it and living it. And three, encourage one another as long as it's called today. Look each other in the eye and encourage one another. Write letters to each other. Have each other over to your house. Grab some coffee with someone just to, just to be an encouragement so they can be an encouragement to you. We cannot do it alone. We've got to be doing it in community moving forward. Let's pray. Lord, we do ask that you... Uh, Allow us to search our hearts deeply, uh, expose to us those hidden sins that, uh, that can lead us to deception and very well lead us to unbelief. So God, as we are in this wilderness wandering, uh, we, we do want to remember those, the, the, the excitement of that moment when we were first liberated and we were first brought out of bondage. So God, take us back to that. Remind us of the confidence that we once had and, and restore to us the joy of our salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.